0: Welcome to The Lead, the Hartford's executive podcast series, where some of our company's most innovative and engaging leaders share their thoughts about leadership, career development, our company, and industry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Lead. I'm your host, Paula Angelo, and I head internal and CEO communications at The Hartford. Our guest today is Stephanie Bush, who leads two of The Hartford's businesses, small commercial and personal lines. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us to talk about your career and the trends and innovation driving the businesses in your portfolio. We're so glad to have you.
1: Thank you, Paula. It's really an honor. I appreciate the opportunity. Let's jump right in. We have so much that we
0: can talk about. So probably the best place to start where I always like to start is just getting to know a little bit about your career journey, what brought you to the place you are now. And so I wanna start by just talking about the unique nature of your current position at the Hartford. You worked for the Hartford for about 20 years, Mm -hmm. then you left, then you returned a few years later as the chief product and underwriting officer for small commercial. So I want to ask first, how, how do you think those career moves really benefited your professional growth?
1: yeah, I think I'd start a little bit at the beginning. and um maybe not everybody knows this. You know, my mom started with the Hartford before I was born as a receptionist in the St. Louis office at that time. And then she went home to have me and then ultimately my sister. and then my father worked for the Hartford for 27 years as a audit manager and a marketing manager. So my almost my entire life growing up, I knew of the Hartford. I didn't know what it all meant other than that it was, you know, pretty pronounced in our, in our family life. So it seemed natural that when I graduated college that um, I would start and explore a career in a company that was so resident in my upbringing. And so, you know, I started in the Chicago office 35 years ago and then had many different roles that first 20 years. I had a really nice career, but sometimes we have this internal voice inside that we may be feeling like we're missing something. I called it senioritis. That was my experience. I can't say that it would be everybody's. And so really sought an opportunity in a discipline that was outside of my background. Things have a plan and a path that you don't always understand. And so while all of my 20 years with the Hartford was largely field operations, middle market, small commercial, and product, I did not have deep personal insurance experience. So I joined this competitor and led their personal insurance product management organization. And so we're going on over 10 years ago got the phone call about an opportunity to come back to the Hartford, which was A, appealing, B, another super appealing piece was to come back and work into small commercial. And at that point in time led product and underwriting with the hopes that if I demonstrated, I could ultimately lead small commercial, which was always my dream job. And so uh, I think it's important that people have goals and dream jobs, and that they seek to pursue those, and you may get them, you may not, and it's not a linear path, and that's what I would say that I learned through those 20 years. So big legacy experience with the Hartford, started there, and then uh, was fortunate enough to get the phone call and say, would you like to come back? And we talk a lot in the company
0: about that phenomenon, the people who leave and then come back, sometimes we refer to them as boomerang employees. What was it about the Hartford that made it so compelling to return? Obviously, the deep personal experience you had growing up had to be a factor, but what was it about the company that really made this the right place?
1: I would say what I learned when I left was, I underestimated the credibility I had within the company, and I overestimated the credibility I would have going into a new role in a different company purely because of my role and or position. And so that was an awesome and at times humbling experience because you have to rebuild your credibility. And candidly, when you think about it, you have to rebuild your credibility constantly in different roles within the company, et cetera. So so that was one big learning. The other, though, that I would say in terms of the drawback to the company is I think as you grow and mature and experience different leadership styles or different uh, work experiences, you become very focused on what your core values are. And those get really super clear and crisp for yourself in terms of what do you value and what type of environment do you want to be a part of. And we talk often at the Hartford about where you can be and to be your authentic self. I never felt that there was a glass ceiling here at the Hartford, ever. You have to work hard to earn every role, every position you have to contribute. And so I, I think it was really a function of being in a culture where I could be my authentic self. I learned a lot and I wanted to bring that forward. That's one, I felt the culture was more in tune with my personal core values. And three, what was also really exciting is you have to remember I came back when the stock price was $18. And, um, and I know it had been lower you know, a few years before And so the, you know, awesome opportunity to be a part of an organization to continue to rebuild its brand and its presence and to gain the outside world's confidence in the company, that felt like a mission bigger than myself.
0: That's fascinating. and. What strikes me as you talk about your professional path is just a real willingness to take some risk, whether it's taking on a new challenge, moving to a new organization, deciding that coming back to the Hartford was the right next step for you. How important is it, do you think, to take professional risks? And I guess the uh, the companion question is, why do you suppose that so many people, particularly women, are perhaps a bit reluctant
1: to take those chances? Yeah, that's a big question or a couple of big questions, Paula. So I, you know, I don't know that people would always view me as a risk taker. By nature, I'm an underwriter, so you are taking risk every single day, And um, but you're assessing risk constantly. I would tell you though that, you know, the way I was raised was, um, you know, there weren't a whole lot of limitations. I was never told you can't do something because you're a girl or a female. I always had a lot of sass. And um, I think over time you just, I, I would sit in meetings in my early days and i would think of okay what about this what about that and then i'd see really senior people in this case mostly men ask the same questions i'm like okay so i'm pacing with that so that was a confidence builder Mm -hmm. and and then you just start to put yourself out there and and then i found oftentimes i would just say things and then other people will come up after and go yeah i was thinking the same thing so i think it just built you know over the years. I also had amazing mentors. In my early days, it was it was all men. I was, you know, just constantly encouraged and or given feedback, tough feedback. Mm-hmm. So you have two choices when you get difficult feedback. You know, you can go through your six, five, seven stages of grief, whatever that is. And then you have a choice. Do I do something with this or not? And so you have to do something with that. So you make that choice and that's a risk.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's one. The other piece that I would share, and I'm going back 30-ish years. I don't think the environment's like this anymore, but I didn't play golf. Most of my colleagues were male. And so I had to be excellent in what I did in order to um, be heard. So my work was my voice and then my confidence in asking the questions and being on point on topic became my voice. I think that was crucial and key to continuing to move forward. With my mentors, they would see something in me that I didn't see. And so at some point you have to believe they see something and I was constantly pushed into the deep end. And again, you have a choice, go into it and be supremely uncomfortable and feel like you're failing or just grind it out. And I feel like if you grind it out, you do get to the other side and and then it just opens up more opportunity and more experiences and you can begin to share with others and sort of propagate your experiences and help others along the way. So why do you know? I find men and women can be equally adverse to taking risk. And at the end of the day, you know, it's you got to be like true to yourself, but you got to then put yourself out there. Is that making sense Paula?
0: Yeah, no. I think what you're describing is something that we talk about a lot at the Hartford around getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you are not experiencing any discomfort, you're probably not growing. And I loved what you said when you were describing the early phase of your career and mentioning that you know, it feels like a lot of that is not the same way today comment a little bit on how you think the workplace culture has evolved broadly within the insurance industry
1: yeah i would say um, the insurance industry is an amazing industry of course she's going to say that because she's been here or in the industry 35 years It, it is really a key element a bedrock of the u.s economy there's so many facets of the industry and different disciplines and so what i mean by that is if you're in sales you have that aspect and so you have to know your product you have to know your distribution and you have goals and and managing that underwriting you're assessing risk you're pricing risk um, you're working with sales you're working with distribution you know, the product team, you know, they're working regulatory, form writing, you know, pricing of the product, positioning of the product, working with compliance, legal, finance, actuarial, and then, you know, yourselves in terms of communication. So I, it's a broad, broad um suite of disciplines that make up this industry. You know, I always used to say you could go to a cocktail party as an underwriter and meet new people and almost know something about anybody you meet new and what their industry is, because you've probably underwritten it or declined it, but it'd be whatever the case may be. And so it gives you a great insight into the U.S. economy. So I think in terms of that, is fascinating. Then when we speak about the diversity of gender, I see it now within our distribution in terms of women in leadership roles, we still have ways to go with people of color. And I feel like we're all working, bringing people into the industry. And I think that all of us have an obligation in that realm. So I think we've made a lot of progress. I think we've made a lot of progress and in terms of explaining the importance of the industry to the U.S. economy?
0: Well, particularly at this stage of the industry's evolution to where you have a generational transformation taking place that just feels like a really fantastic opportunity to open that aperture and really tap into a broader population of talent.
1: You know, when I started, there were actuaries, but the notion of a data scientist or data engineer. But those roles didn't even exist. Mm-hmm. When you think of how society and commerce has evolved and changed, our industry is pacing right there with that. So it's pretty exciting.
0: You know, we're talking about the talent pool. And one of the things that I've always been personally impressed by is how strong an advocate you've been for people of all abilities. You've also been very transparent about your parenting journey and have shared a lot with us along the way through your blogs. How do you think this passion for inclusion has shaped your approach to leadership?
1: I'm a big believer that you don't get anything that you, you know, you can't handle. And so for those that don't know, My youngest daughter, who's 21, she's on the autism spectrum, and when she was 20 months old, we were told that, you know, she was severely autistic, and her opportunities were going to be very limited. I love nothing more than to prove people wrong, (laughs) and so she's a senior in college. She still has some challenges, but uh, she's exceeded and beat pretty much every limitation that you know, many people put on her. So I'm super proud. But when you step back and as a parent or just understanding and seeing life through other people's shoes and or struggles, it, you said, opens up your aperture. It opened up mine even more. I always thought I was somewhat of a sensitive individual, but, you know, there's always those life lessons. So I take my Caroline's journey And teaching her how to do conversation. And so there's one loop, two loop, three loop, five loop conversations to an ultimate conversation. Among other things, it's probably the hardest thing that my husband and I and our therapy team ever had to do. And she accomplished that. So I take that perspective. And then I come into work. And I see all these brilliant people. And then when I hear it can't be done, I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, team. <laughs> if Caroline can have a conversation, we can build this new product or we can advance this technology and that. So, one, I've taken that experience and it's changed my perspective about what we can and can't do at work. That's one. And then two, I I've try hard. We're all human. So, you know, I have my own flaws and flaws and faults is Seek to understand everybody's super strength because everybody's got a super strength. And then I call it the recipe is that if you have too much of flour, you're not going to have a great cake. Mm -hmm. But if if you take the best of this person's super strength with that person's super strength and this and that, and then you build a team. That is complementary, and you're leveraging all their super strengths you're going to get something pretty, pretty awesome. And that can be somebody with, you know, a physical disability, you know, other types of disabilities or, you know, self-imposed limitations. And so um, I'm a big believer of finding people's super strengths and what that is, and then fitting them into the right recipe. And I think you've really talked
0: about something that Leaders across the Hartford lean into, which is deliberately creating opportunities for a wide variety of voices because we know that that's what makes us better. Right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, more with Stephanie Bush. Hey, Hartford employees! Make sure to visit iConnect, where you'll find all the latest news on our business wins, well-being tips, benefit updates upcoming company events, and so much more. But if you can't see it daily, be sure to read iConnect Week in Review every Friday morning. That's where you can get caught up on what you missed. We now return to the lead, the Hartford's Executive Podcast Series. Welcome back. I'm talking with Stephanie Bush, who heads the Hartford's small commercial and personal lines businesses. So talk to me a little bit. I've heard others in your organization describe The way that you approach business updates and talking about team priorities, really leaning into the things that aren't going well. Talk a little bit about the philosophy behind that and how you engage your team.
1: Maybe uh, it's a little crazy, but we call it the 95-5. We spend 95 percent of the conversation of what we can do better and five percent of the conversation on what we do well so some of that is just how um how we operate but why why do we have that, you know, philosophy? And when you think about small commercial, it's been, you know, we just celebrated 40 years of having a standalone small commercial organization. We fundamentally believe that each leadership team and all of us here, you know, serving, and I'm using that word purposely, serving small business at the Hartford. We are stewards. This is our season. You know, one day we'll pass the baton to others to carry forward the season. And just like others have done great things that have allowed this business to be what it is today. So we feel an obligation to be stewards and we have a market leading position. And so we never wanna rest on our laurels. We don't wanna believe our own press clippings. We're super proud, but if you came to one of our monthly business reviews, even if the financial results were strong, you wouldn't know that we do spend the time talking about the negative variances where we can be better where we can be stronger and i think just that mindset and that edge and then having an organization and a team of leaders that believes into that and and takes that responsibility of market leadership and stewardship of this franchise super seriously that just sort of permeates
0: yeah i have to believe that in a company with a legacy that ours has where we've been in business for more than two centuries that stewardship probably feels very important
1: no yes i and i'm a big believer of servant leadership and stewardship and that we can all sit there and go why did we make that decision or why did that decision get made or why don't they just do this well no you know leadership decisions are binary they're not yes no There's so many tentacles that go with that. And so we can sit there and look backwards and go, "Okay, I wouldn't have made that decision. And I've done that. But you don't know what that leader was dealing with at that point in time. And so you have to give grace to that. I'd love to probe a little
0: bit on your leadership journey, you know, as you're talking about sort of looking at decisions that had been made in the past and, and trying maybe even to learn from some of those predecessors. So as you've been on that journey, I'm just curious, is there one particular thing that you've learned to do or maybe something you've learned to stop doing as you've advanced in your career?
1: Yeah, learn to do, um, listen, which can be hard (laughs) to, to listen. You should come into a meeting or into a discussion with a point of view, which means you have to do some degree of homework or research. I've also learned as a leader that even though I don't feel like it, I'm in a meeting and I feel like I'm one of the team and having the discussion that I have to remember they're receiving me as their leader. Mm -hmm. So just because I'm saying something, it may not be direction. So I don't want people to say, Stephanie said, or this is what she wants. So I work really hard sometimes and many times in meetings to say, um, I'm thinking out loud, this is not direction. Or in our rapid framework, remind people, I don't have the D. Actually really as leaders, executives, we make very few decisions. We support decisions, but we make very few. So and and then if it's a situation where it's like, no, no, I have to take the D on this, then I declare that I'm gonna take the D. But I, I work really hard to make sure that People know where the accountability and the decision is, and so that they feel empowered. And then the other thing that I would say I've had to learn, I've done product, I've done underwriting, I've done sales, I've done distribution, I've done different facets of it. And just because I really love some of those disciplines in that, that I have to give the leaders space to do. so, And it's really hard when you love certain aspects. Of, yes, it is. So I've had to uh, I've had to learn that as well. You mentioned you've had a
0: lot of excellent mentors, and certainly your parents sound like they were really influential in setting the stage for your career. Is there anybody else that you would cite as a, a role model or somebody who really had a significant bearing on how you looked at your Growth as a professional and as a leader.
1: I had a leader here at the Hartford probably about a little over 20 years ago. And I had this one career aspiration and she pulled me into her office and said, you're thinking too small and you need to be thinking this way. She planted a seed in me and I worked really hard to make sure that i'm super intentional about the encouragement giving the difficult feedback when you have to because it's for the that person to grow and be better and to achieve their professional dreams and then also to plant those seeds but be authentic and true about the seed planting i love that because sometimes people just need that opportunity to visualize themselves right so i can still remember the day and where i was and what room in this you know uh complex i was in when that seed was planted
0: that's a great story thank you for that
1: so let's dive
0: a little bit more deeply into the world of small commercial and personal lines And maybe the best place to start is to talk about where the Hartford fits into the broader landscape. How would you describe the competitive environment for the two businesses you lead? And how do you think the Hartford stacks up versus our industry peers?
1: Yeah, that's a big question, too. So small commercial, we'll start there. Super competitive, I would say, across the the board. You know, there's you know, challenges and opportunities and all the lines of businesses, et cetera. So I won't go into all of those details. Um, We have a target on our back. We are often revered as the market leader and we have, I mentioned the stewardship. We work really hard to make sure that we keep creating distance between ourselves and the rest of the market while we navigate different, you know, influences. Some to the positive and some, you know, to the challenge to make sure that we live into the obligation of growth and profit. And so it's a competitive environment that is moving fast. The margins, I won't say they're thin, they're not fat. What I mean by that is that we get over a million quotes a year in our re-quote issue system icon and nearly 80% have no underwriter touch. Seems easy peasy. The level of sophistication and the teams of people from IT, the digital teams, the underwriting teams, our data science team, Our product teams, our actuarial partners, finance, I could go on and on behind the scenes to make all of that be what it is, is pretty awesome. And I feel fortunate that I get to see a lot of that in action. But competitive, target on our back, and we're working hard to create distance between ourselves and the rest of the market. And then in personal lines, holy smokes, this team, so we're a direct affinity player. We're the number five direct writer, but there's a big, you know, difference between where we are and the top direct writers. And you know, our affiliation with AARP, we made an investment about five years ago, four to a half years ago. We made a two hundred million dollar investment to transform that business to completely contemporize it. And stem to stern, I got to say in my leadership career, I've never seen a total transformation of a business. Stem to stern, two new products, new technology, new policy admin system, cloud, advancements on digital, and then, oh, by the way, a global pandemic, supply chain challenges, regulatory constraints, and a very disruptive loss cost environment. These individuals are some of the most committed, hardworking everybody is. It's inspiring. And so we have a group of individuals that knows where we are today, but also knows where we're going. They're more than firefighters. They're sort of superheroes in my book, so... That's a great picture that you're painting of the
0: teams that you lead. Many times I've heard you talk about the importance of the Hartford operating with ease, speed, and accuracy, particularly as we think about the digital expectations of all of the different kinds of customers we serve. Why do you think this approach is so important right now?
1: If you just think about society and how we all operate, We want everything fast, simple, accurate. So why should our business be any different? When I think about in small commercial, seven years ago, we said to ourselves, 50% of the working population by 2020 was going to be a millennial demographic. They have different expectations about how they work, what their work medium is like, and we have to pace with that. And so we made strategic decisions to make investments in the business to ensure that we delivered that experience. When you think about a small business customer, an agent is not making a lot of commission off of that. It better be comprehensive. The whole experience needs to be easy to do business with. You know, speed and accuracy, and then consistency of that experience so that you build and gain trust over and over and over. That is no different than in the personal insurance realm. I heard so many times that, you know, why would a mature, you know, market? policyholder, an AARP member, they're not going to go online or they're not going to get their insurance card digitally. They're not going to pay their bill digitally. And I was like, oh my God, well, so many of us are plus 50 and we've got a phone. The digital experience is so important. We have to value people's time and how they want to transact and so um, we've just had a tremendous partnership with the digital team, everybody working through that. You gotta be at the with the times and you have to deliver the client and customer and agent experience that they expect, but also that they're not sure they know they need and want so that you delight them throughout the process. And so that, that's what we strive to do.
0: Sounds very exciting. And I'm just curious as you, Think about what lies ahead for our company and our colleagues across the Hartford. What are you most looking forward to?
1: Well, I would state that um, the company, I would say, has never been in better hands, has never been better poised to, you know, win with a lot of the investments and acquisitions that we've made over the last few years when I think about. Mo and Adrian's businesses, and what we bring to bear is exceptional. The strength of small commercial, the investments that we've been making in personal insurance, what Jonathan is doing. when I think about that, we're going to be at a big industry event and we're going to be really talking about all of those capabilities. And um, we bring a lot to bear for our agents and brokers to sell and a lot of solutions for clients, policyholders. You wrap that in with the promise from our claim organization. And so, you know, having spent 27, 28 years, 30, close to 30 years, I guess, with the company, I've seen a lot of different generations of this. And uh, I've never been more optimistic about where we are today, where we're going. And then I guess the last thing I would state is that our commitment to the employee and our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion and making sure that all voices, male, female, people of color, different you know, differences are heard and respected. And if I hear one thing from new hires, they cannot believe how advanced we are on all of these aspects and how they feel safe when they come to work. And isn't that awesome?
0: It is. So I've got one last question. I'll come back around to the conversation we had about Caroline and your journey with her. Any chance that she's going to follow you into insurance?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> so, my Caroline, she is an amazing writer. So, she might follow you, Paula. <laughs> She's a very gifted writer and her passion is drama and writing. She works right now helping out at the local theater. So I see her doing that path.
0: Stephanie, on behalf of all of our listeners, thank you so much for taking time to tell us more about you and the future that you and your team are building. These are truly exciting times for the Hartford And you are helping to make that happen. And thanks to everyone for listening to The Lead. Until next time, I'm Paula Angelo. This has been The Lead, the Harford's executive podcast series. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you'd be notified on the latest episodes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.